0: This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. This week we're concluding our series on, on Greater Than. And there was a man who was, uh, went to Las Vegas with his wife and had a business convention out there. He stayed afterwards for a couple of days. And he told his wife, He's going down just to the, to the floor at the gaming tables just to kind of see what was going on. And he walked over by the roulette wheel, decided to place a $2 bet, and he won. And then he placed some more bets and he won again and just had an amazing run of luck and got that $2 up to $50,000. And so he is walking to the cashiers, uh, that booth to cash all his, his chips in, and he has this one fleeting idea, one more bet. And he put it all on 14 black and it rolled up 12 red and he lost it all. So he goes upstairs and... Goes back to the hotel room, he walks in, his wife said, well, did you have fun? He said, yeah. He said, you bet any money? He said, yeah. She said, how'd you do? He said, not bad, I lost two bucks. (laughs) Now, Now that, that is a positive perspective. That is a positive perspective. And this morning, I want to talk about you and God are greater than the negativity that's in the world. Greater than than the negativity. Maybe negativity has been a part of your life. It doesn't have to be. But you and God can be greater than the negativity that's there. The Mayo Clinic in, in Rochester, Minnesota, is one of the most famous medical clinics in the world. They spend $660 million a year just on research. And as they were doing some research, the Mayo Clinic did a research on positive thinking, positive speaking. And here's what they found. They did all this research. They found this. They found that people who are positive, not people who don't have problems, but people who handle their problems in a productive way, and people who have positive self-talk that's those words we tell ourselves. He said, "Those people live longer than people who are negative. Those people have less depression than people who are negative. Those people have a greater amount of psychological and physical well-being than people who are negative. And those are people who develop better coping skills and can deal with some of the, the stress and the pressures of life. A man and his wife were at his high school reunion. And as so they're sitting there at the table, he, he kept looking at this lady a couple of tables over. She's sitting there by herself. She was obviously drunk and she kept on drinking. And he just kept looking at her. And finally, his wife looked at him and said, do you know her? And he sighed. He said, Yeah. I do. He said, that was my girlfriend. And unfortunately, when we broke up so many years ago, she started drinking, and word has it is, she hadn't been sober since. His wife said, Wow, who'd think anyone could have gone on celebrating for that long? <laughs> Did I also tell you that positive people actually have better relationships than, than, than people who were negative? It's interesting that Mayo Clinic did that study, but here's what I thought was fascinating about the study, and I read it. It said this. We are unclear why all these benefits are for people who are more positive. So they don't understand. Why do they live longer? Why do they have less stress? In fact, they said people who are positive are able to, they they resist more of the common colds. They said we are unclear as to why that happened. I have a non-research, I didn't spend any money on this, but here's Alan's opinion on that. I believe it's because God never designed us to live negatively. He never made us that way. Look what Jesus said here in John 16. We've looked at this for a while. Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Jesus is speaking. He said, said, I want you to know this. He said, there's going to be negative things in the world. He, he He didn't candy coat it. He said, there's going to be negative things. He said, but in me, connected to him, a life with him. He said, you can have peace. He said, and you can be of good cheer. Now, we don't use those words anymore. It's been a long time since I told someone, hey, be of good cheer. We We just don't do that. But you could say, hey, take heart, take courage. And how many of you know that those are positive things? And so Jesus is saying, hey, in this world, you're going to have negative stuff. But you don't have to lose your peace. And you don't have to go negative on it. You can, keep a po- you can choose to keep a positive framework on that. And he helps us. We're not doing this by ourselves. We've got a connection to him. A number of years ago in World War II, a girl from New Jersey married her husband. And he got transferred out to the deserts of, of California to do some training. And he told her, he said, I don't want you to go. It's going to be a bad situation out there, bad living conditions." But she wanted to go anyway. So when they got out there, they couldn't find a home on the base. So they wound up with a real ramshackle old place right next to a Native American tribe. It was 115 degrees in the shade some days. The sand just blew all the time. Her neighbors, Native Americans, did not even speak English. Then her husband gets transferred further into the desert and she's out there by herself. She finally writes her mom. She said, that's it. She said, I can't take it anymore. I'm done. I want to come home. Now, this is when the people used to communicate by snail mail. (laughs) So a week later, here comes the reply. The reply simply read this. Two men looked out from prison bars. One saw mud, the other saw stars. As she looked at that, she read it over and over and over again. And she realized if she was going to stay here, she needed to do something not necessarily about all her circumstances, but about her attitude. So she reached out and she became friends and made friends with some of her Native American neighbors. And they began to teach her their culture. And they taught her weaving and pottery. And she began to learn about them, was fascinated with their culture. Then she began to look at the desert. She looked at it not as a bleak, barren place, but having its own unique kind of beauty and all the cactus and, and all the different animals and animals she became so fascinated with the desert that she actually wrote a book about living in the desert. What changed? Wasn't the weather, wasn't, wasn't her neighbors, it wasn't the sand. What changed was her attitude and how she saw it. Now, you, you, you see something like that and you go, well, yeah, I know, but listen. When Jesus said, hey, you don't have to, you don't have to be negative. You can be of good cheer because you're connected to the one who has overcome all the junk that's in the world. And with a connection with him, listen guys, as Christians, we should be the most positive people. Well, think about it. Our past is forgiven. It's wiped out, forgiven. If you ask the Lord about your past, he said, what past? It's forgiven. We know that if you Man, I tell you what, I can, I can lay down at night. If you know the Lord, you can lay down at night, and you know, you don't pray, if I die before I wake, please, Lord, take me. I know exactly where I'm going to go. If I die tonight, and I know to depart with, from the body is to be present with the Lord. I know that. So I got my past taken care of. I've got the future handled, and I've got help for the present. We ought to be the most positive people going. We've got something and somebody to be positive about. <clears throat> Now, we've been talking about a guy for the last couple of weeks whose name is Joseph. And if anyone would have a great excuse to be negative, it's Joseph. Remember, he came into a family. There were 12 brothers, four wives, one father. They all lived together. Nobody liked each other. There was a, that was a horrible, toxic environment. Joseph was the favorite of his dad. Joseph had a, a dream. God gave him a couple of dreams that said he was going to be a ruler. He shared that with his brothers. That made him matter. They were going to kill him, but then they had a better idea. They said, we'll sell him. And they sold him to a group of of traveling Ishmaelite traders who took him to Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world, and sold him as a slave. So now he's a slave in the house of the captain of the guard, a very high-ranking official. And everything Joseph does, God blesses. Joseph just did a great job. And the Egyptians saw that he was blessed because God blessed everything that Joseph did. He ran the whole household, but he had a problem because the, the captain of the guard was married to a cougar who looked at Joseph and went, ah, I like you. And he's like, no, I can't do this. And because he was honorable, he rejected her. She screams rape and prejudice, lies about him, and gets him thrown in prison. So his life is going on a downward spiral. And then in prison, the Bible said he, God was with him wherever joseph was god was and joseph god calls joseph to prosper and do well he wound up running the whole prison now this morning here's here's what i want to tell you joseph had a positive attitude even in prison so how do you know that let's look pharaoh was angry with his two officers the chief butler and the chief baker so he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them and he served them, so they were in custody for a while. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison had a dream, both of them each man's dream in one night and each man's dream with his own interpretation. And Joseph came in to them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house saying, why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, We've each had a dream, and there's no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. Now, here's here's why I'm, I'm saying that Joseph was positive. Joseph wound up running that whole prison. Now, if you're an employer, how many of you know if you're going to put someone in charge of something, how many of you don't put the most depressed, negative person in charge of anything? You want to put the person who's got a great attitude, the one who shows up early, the one who smiles, the one who just thinks, hey, great, we can do this. That's the kind of guy or girl that you want to promote. So Joseph had a great attitude. He's running the prison and he steps in, the, he steps in one morning and the, the chief butler, the butler was like a, not the British butler, it's, it's, it's the cupbearer, the one who would actually drink the king's wine before he gave it to the king in case it was poisoned. A great job. And, and, and the baker's kind of like the, the executive chef. He kind of oversaw all that. So these guys were there, and Joseph pops in one morning, and he sees them, and they're sad. He's like, hey, bro, why are y'all sad? What a stupid question. You step into a prison and ask these two guys who were prisoners, why are you sad? Duh, because we're in prison? Because we're eating prison food? Because we don't have any hope that we're getting out? There's a lot of reasons, but Listen. You don't ask somebody a question like that unless you're not sad yourself. So in other words, you just pop in. If you're kind of a, I'm sure, I'm sure Joseph was probably irritated. He's probably just a happy guy. Hey, hey guys, why are y'all sad? Oh, great. Here's Joseph. But here's another thing. You ever notice when you're sad and you're just down, you're not aware of anybody else. Usually sad people are not aware of other people who are sad. Sad people are kind of enveloped in that. So here's Joseph, he's, he's like, he's not a sad guy. Why are you guys sad? And they said, well, you had a dream. And here's where we see something interesting with Joseph. Here's the first thing is, why did he even care? He's in prison. Why would he even care about these guys if they're sad? It tells you something, a little bit something about Joseph. You know, you're in prison. He could walk in these guys are sad. He's like, well, you're sad? I'm sad. Great. We're in prison. We're all sad. Stinks to be you. That's just, that's life. But Joseph's like, no, no, why are you guys saying? Tell, tell me what's going on. And they said we had a dream, and I love what Joseph said. He said, don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me. Now, that tells you something. One, he never broke his connection with God. He still believed that God would give him an answer for those prisoners, even in the prison, even though it had been years since his dream. And two, it tells you he had not given up on his dream dream and they said we had a dream joseph could have said well you had a dream i had a dream big deal my dream didn't come to pass but instead he goes you know god's the one who can answer dreams tell me your dream in his other words he's saying i have a dream too god's given me a dream and he'll help me with this tell me what it is so the butler and the and the baker told him the dream and uh, he gave him the interpretation. To the butler, he said, you're going to get restored to your position. To the baker, he said, you're going to die. Not so happy, but you're going to die. And sure enough, three days later, the butler was restored. The baker was killed, hung. And uh, Joseph told the butler, said, he's, like, he's like, dude, remember me when you get there. I am not supposed to be here. And the butler promptly forgot him. By the way, Joseph didn't call him dude. That's kind of like the Texas version of that. But the butler forgot him, but the seeds of kindness that Joseph planted came up two years later. Two years later, Pharaoh has a dream. He wakes up, man he's had this dream and it's bothered him and he starts telling it to the wise man and nobody can answer it. And then the butler goes, oh, I forgot. There's this Hebrew guy in the jail. He he answered my dream. He had the interpretation. And Pharaoh calls for Joseph. The Bible said when they called for Joseph, he got cleaned up, shaved, went in to see the Pharaoh. Pharaoh told him that, Pharaoh said, I understand that you can, that you can answer dreams. And, and, and Joseph said, it's not in me. He said, God will give you an answer of peace. He still believed that God would help him. And sure enough, Pharaoh told him his dream, and Joseph had the answer for it. His dream involved Seven years of, of plenty, and seven years of famine that were coming. And Joseph said, there's seven great years and seven bad years are going to follow it. And they're going to be horrible. And he had a plan to put away grain. And after Pharaoh heard the plan, he said, where can we find a guy like this? This is awesome. A guy in whom is the spirit of God. And he, he said, Joseph, you are now the number two guy in the whole country. And so Pharaoh's chariot would go, and man, those these these kings back then, man, they had people who would run before them, screaming, bow the knee, and they had all these trumpeters behind them. And right behind his chariot was Joseph's chariot, with people trumpeting and shouting, bow the knee, which would include the captain of the guard and that cougar wife of his who had to bow their knee. And I wonder if Joseph is thinking, "Uh ah ah ah, the dream is starting to come to pass, the dream of being a ruler. And we know that Joseph never gave up on God because Joseph acknowledged God. He was taken out of the prison. He's now the number two guy. And God, and, and the Pharaoh gave him a wife. And we'll see what happened here. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Asenath, the daughter Potipharah, the priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil, and all my father's house. And the name of the second, he called Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. You say, well, how do you you know he hadn't given up on God? Well, here's the first thing. When Joseph was made number two guy, the Egyptian pharaoh gave him an Egyptian name. And his, his Egyptian name, I don't even try to pronounce it, but his Egyptian name meant God speaks and he lives. Joseph had an Egyptian name. He's got an Egyptian wife. He is in the greatest power of that time, but he names his children Hebrew children. Hebrew names that had God in them. First one was, God has caused me to forget all my toil in my my family. Now, he didn't forget who his family was, but what he's saying is, all the pain of the past, God has caused me to forget it. He said he named his second child Ephraim, which means God has caused me to be fruitful. So even when he comes out, even when he's a powerful man, Joseph never thought he did it on his own. He's like, God has helped me forget all the pain of my past. God has helped me be fruitful in the land. Isn't that great? Two great names, What positive names. I forgot the negative stuff, and God has blessed me. Here's the good news. God plus Joseph was greater than the slavery the turmoil, the hate, the prison, the prejudice, the lies, all that junk. God plus Joseph wound up greater than all those circumstances. It's a great story, but it's not just a story because the God of Joseph is our God. And if he can help Joseph in all those situations, then he can help us in all our situations as well. So in other words, today you could say, well, Alan, I'm not in a In a real negative situation like Joseph, I just got a little bit of negative. Listen, you and God can be greater than any negativity that you're dealing with right now. You say, well, how do I know that? Well, here's a a beautiful thing. Knowing that God is with us, that we're connected. Remember, Jesus said, in me, you have peace. In me, you have good cheer. Knowing that we're connected to him, we have a relationship, a life with him. Knowing that we have that, it gives us something different to focus on than simply the negative situation that we're in. Remember that two men looked out through prison bars? One saw mud, the other one saw stars. We actually have something beyond that. We don't, we're not even looking for the stars, we're looking for the sun. We have a relationship with God. And that gives us a different perspective. We can show, we can choose to focus on the negative stuff, or we can choose to focus on the bigness of God and his help in our lives. And that helps our perspective. When I was Finished my freshman year in college. I went to sell books for a company called the Southwestern Book Company. And I sold books door to door. And the Southwestern Book Company, man, they get all these college students, they bring them from all over the nation, and, and take them to Nashville, Tennessee, and they train them for a week. And they kept telling us, now, at the end of the week, Mort Utley is coming to speak. Mort Utley. I never heard of Mort Utley. They said he's coming. He's awesome. When they introduce him, you need to stand up and and cheer because it's Mort Utley. We're like, oh, we're pumped up. We're like, great. Mort Utley is coming. And finally they said, and here, here's our speaker, Mort Utley. And Mort walked out. They must have been 150 years old. I'm like, what? But Mort Utley told a story I have never forgotten. You see, Mort knew that as door-to-door salespeople, we were going to hit some hard times. We were going to hit some rejection and people cussed at us and slammed doors and got told no. And so Mort prepared this. He told the story about the positive boy. He said this little boy was so positive that they wanted to do research on him to find out why he was so positive. So they put him in a room and they watched him through a two-way mirror. And in this room was nothing but broken toys. And the little guy walks in, he looks around, looks at all the toys, the toys are broken. Then he figures out a way that he can kind of put the toys together and kind of make these Frankenstein toys. He's having a great time. When they interrupted him, they said, okay, we're going to come up with something different. They put him in another room, and in this room was nothing, blank, nothing on the walls, nothing, just no toys, nothing. He looked around, didn't see any toys, and he started acting out his own play, and he's playing all the different characters. In fact, he was so into it that he was annoyed when they came in and interrupted him and told him he needed to stop. They said, okay, we got the last test. This is the last test. This is the one that will get him. And they put the little boy... Into a room where he was waist deep in horse manure. They said, this will do it. So he waded into this room full of horse manure. They looked around and he dived into the middle of the horse manure and he starts flinging horse manure everywhere. And they thought, oh, 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 we pushed him too far. He's, he's lost it. And they stepped into the room. They said, son, what are you doing? And he pops his head up. He's covered in horse manure. He pops his head up. He said, With all this horse manure, there has got to be a pony in here somewhere. So what did you talk about in church today? We talked about Mort Utley and ponies and horse manure. But how many of you know that sometimes life will put you in a room where you are waist deep in horse manure? And we have a choice, though, as to what we're going to focus on. Here's a great verse I like, and this is in... Corinthians, it said, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. In other words, we can live on the victory side of life, thanking God. Yes, we go through difficult times, but listen, me and God have not had the last word on this. When we do, it's all going to turn out for my good and God's glory. So we have that option for us. And then the second thing, how we can overcome negativity is that we can, armed with God's promise, we can begin to reach out and plant seeds of kindness in the lives of the people around us. Now, you say, what's the promise? Well, the promise is this out of Galatians 6. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Joseph planted seeds of kindness, faithfulness, of a great attitude. He reaped a wonderful harvest. But what about us? Now, we can plant seeds of kindness and service for other people, and when we do, it not only blesses them, it blesses us too. A number of years ago, before we started the church, Joy was, wanted the children to learn how to reach out, and she wanted to reach out. She contacted the people at Interfaith in the Woodlands and asked if there was a place where she could, like, adopt a grandmother or something. And they, they sent her to a, a government housing project where a lot of the people in there had disabilities. And and they introduced her to a lady named Miss Bobby. Miss Bobby was in there, she had an oxygen tube. Miss Bobby, when she got sick, her husband divorced her, married her best friend, and then dropped her off at this place. So this is a lady that had a lot of negative stuff about her life. And Joy, Joy took Matt and Christina up there, and they met Miss Bobby, and Joy used to have to tell Matt, Matt, don't stand on Miss Bobby's oxygen tubes. And, uh, but it was a great experience for them. But the interesting thing about Miss Bobby is, Joy said she's the most grateful person I've ever met. She said it's, it's almost shameful you go in there to cheer her up and she's cheering you up. She said Miss Bobby was all pumped up because she got to see Lakewood on television or she had jello today or they gave her ice cream. And Joy went in to cheer her up and Miss Bobby was just always so grateful and so kind. When Joy got so sick, we stayed in touch with Miss Bobby. When Joy was so sick, sometimes she said, "Alan, I would be so sick and I would start to feel sorry for myself." She said I'd call Miss Bobby. "Hey, Miss Bobby," she said, "Just call you to cheer you up," she said invariably. "I'm trying to plant seeds in Miss Bobby. Miss Bobby's planting seeds in me about how good God was and how grateful she was for life. Right before Miss Bobby died, Joy called her, and she said, "Miss Bobby, are you excited?" Miss Bobby said, "Why?" She said, you're going to get to go to heaven soon. And Miss Bobby was so thrilled. She was a believer. She loved the Lord. But Joy planted seeds when she was hurting, and those seeds came back and helped her. Listen, I talk to people all the time. I hear this all the time. And there's a pastor. I want to go, no, 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 don't. I hear people say, Alan, we're going through a hard time, and we just, we just need to kind of retreat in. We just need to take care of me. We, we stop serving, stop coming to church, stop doing everything. I want to go, no, that's exactly what you don't need to do. When you're going through a hard time, that's not the time to stop planting seeds. That's the time to start planting seeds and start reaching out to the people around you. That's not the time to withdraw. That's the time to give out because that's how you give God something to work with. Joseph kept doing that even though he's in negative situations and God helped him. And here's the last one. How did you and God become greater than the negativity that's in the world? Well, When you begin to understand that by the grace of God, do you realize that he can help you forget the pain of the past? Now, as soon as I say that, people kind of tighten up on me. They go, well, Alan, you don't know what I've been through and what's been done to me. No, I don't. But you don't know my story either. So it's it's always hard to judge and say, no one else knows what I've been through. Listen, all of us have been through stuff. All of us have had painful things happen. It's not that we're ever going to deny that painful things have happened but the painful things don't have to dominate our life. The pain doesn't have to dominate our lives. I talked to a a missionary one time. I'll never forget, I was talking to this guy, just a nice guy, just a bright guy. He started telling me he had left the United States, gone to Peru, started a mission, started a church, had a great church, things were going well. He came back into the United States, and when he did, his number two guy down there took over the church, kicked him out. He lost everything. I'm sitting there listening to this guy going, Dear Lord, Because he'd gone, you talk about going through the fire? He'd gone through the fire, but he didn't smell smoky. Does that make sense? You know, listen, a lot of us have been through difficult times, but man, we don't, some people, you sound like, phew, man, you you smell like you were standing right next to the fire. But you don't have to be that way. Do you know that God can help you forget the pain of the past? And yeah, it might've been hard, and we're not denying that it happened, and it shouldn't have happened. But the good news is, thank God, it's not the dominant thing in our life anymore. God's goodness and his grace has helped me, and he is still the healer of broken hearts. And then God, by his grace, can help me forget the pain of the past. And God, by his grace, can help me overcome and be successful. Listen, if he blessed Joseph in prison, he can bless you. If he blessed Joseph when he was a slave, he can bless you. If Joseph overcame prejudice and lies, so can you. Jesus said in me, he said, You see, you'll have peace and be of good cheer. I've overcome the world, and you're connected to him, the one who's overcome. Does that make a difference? Makes a huge difference. One story and I'll close. A man named Jerry, I'd read his story years ago and found it again. Jerry was a restaurant manager, He's a very good one. He's so positive that every time he moved restaurants, he took wait staff and kitchen staff with him. They loved Jerry. Jerry was working late one night. Actually, it was in the wee hours of the morning, and he did something you're never supposed to do in the restaurant business. When he was closing, he left the back door open. And as he did that, three guys, armed guys, came in, held a gun to Jerry, and wanted him to open the safe. He got so nervous, his hand slipped off the safe and he couldn't open it, and they panicked and they shot him. Jerry is lying on the ground, and uh, in his own words, he said, "Two, two thoughts are going through my mind. He said, one was I shouldn't have left the back door open. He said, the second thought was, he said, I could choose to live or die here. He said, I choose to live. The paramedics got there pretty quick. People had heard the shots, and Jerry said the paramedics were great. They kept telling him, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. He said, but when they wheeled me into the emergency room, he said, the look on the nurses and the doctor's face scared me. He said, the way they looked at me, they, he said, they looked at me like, this guy's a dead man. He said, there was a burly nurse who kept shouting questions at him, and she shouted out, are you allergic to anything? And Jerry said, yes. And everyone stopped while, the, while they stopped working on him to find out what he's allergic to. Jerry took a deep breath and he said, bullets. I'm allergic to bullets. <laughs> And then he looked at the doctor and he said, doctor, operate on me like a man that's going to live, not like a man that's going to die. And 18 hours later and weeks in intensive care, Jerry walked out of that hospital. Now it was partly because of the paramedics and it was partly because of the nurses and the doctors, but it was also partly because Jerry chose to live. He chose to take the positive way. You know, the Bible said, Moses, when he was speaking to the people, said, I set before you this day life and death, blessing and cursing. He said, choose life. We have the ability to choose life, to choose our attitude. And because we're not by ourselves, we're connected to a God who loves us dearly, who's paid an awesome price for us. We can choose our attitude and choose our perspective. If you're in here thinking, Alan, I've been negative all my life. I'm always going to be negative. Stop being positive about being negative. You can, you can actually make a change, and the Lord will help you every step in the way because you and God are greater than the negativity that's in our life. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? please? no one leaving or moving will be out of here in just a moment. If you came today and said, Alan, I don't, I don't have a relationship with the Lord, or I'm not sure that I do. That's really where positivity begins right there. It's having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Or maybe you're like I was. You had a relationship with God, you walked away from it. And today you realize, hey, I I wanna reconnect. I wanna come back. We're gonna say a prayer. I'm not gonna ask you to stand up. I'm not gonna ask you to come to the front. This is a powerful prayer. This is the prayer that changes things. If You're here today and you say, you know, Alan, I really, I wanna get in on that prayer. I want you to just do one thing, real simply. I want you to slip your hand up across this auditorium. Say would you pray for me? I don't know where I am, thank you. In the back, thank you, thanks, thank you, thank you. Anybody else, say, that's me. Alan, would you pray for me? Thank you, appreciate your hands. Appreciate your courage, The hands have gone up all over. Anybody else, say, Alan, that's me. Would you pray for me? Thank you. You can put your hands down. Now, we're gonna pray. Now, maybe you didn't lift your hand and you wanted to. You didn't miss your opportunity. This is a heart prayer. We're gonna pray it with you. You pray it with us, out loud. We're gonna pray this prayer together. As a church family, say, Dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior. As the One who forgives me and restores me, thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. I said you're about still and eyes are closed. Father, I thank you for those that acknowledged you this morning, saying they're coming home or saying. They're coming to you for the very first time. Thank you that you heard their prayers. Thank you for the change that's taken place in their hearts and in their lives. We rejoice with them. And Father, for the rest of us, thank you that we have a connection with you, a life with you. Thank you that we can grow stronger and including choosing to believe that you'll help us and that we can come through and that's greater than all the negativity that we face. Thank you for that. We give you all the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.